I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow underway on this Tuesday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network as we welcome you in on the YouTube channel. Streaming live there. You just search out Outkick. Hope you'll subscribe while you're there. Catch all the great shows. And uh, this great radio partner, if you're listening around the office today, around uh, your drive, whatever it might be, we say thank you. Big show today. They're always big. Kurt Schilling joins us. In 20 minutes, the very latest uh, from his perspective on the Otani trade deadline across Major League Baseball and more. John McClain will be with us in hour number two. A lot of things happening across the NFL, including Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and more. We'll get to that. Senator Tommy Tuberville returns to the show. And it's a big day on Capitol Hill for college athletics, name, image, likeness. Uh, Senator Tuberville uh, is co-authoring. They're, they've now got this ready for today. They've drafted new NIL uh, legislation that uh, he and Senator Joe Manchin uh, will, uh, in a bipartisan effort, try to find some guidelines for what has been a wide open system since 2021. Uh, he'll join us at the very top of hour number three, so in two hours from right now. Plus, Clay Travis joins us in studio later. Yeah, they're always big, it's, but today's massive, right? You know, it's one of those days. On. On, uh, every day I show up and I say, today <laughs> might be the best show we've ever done. Might be. Okay. Every day is filled with possibility. You know I tell you this all the time. I tell everyone that. I see people in the street you and I say, it. I want everyone to know that every day is filled with imminent possibility. But I look at today's rundown and I think, this could be the greatest show in hot mic history. And I don't say that. That's not an empty threat or an empty thought. (laughs) These are not empty (laughs) calories on this show. You're going to get full. You're going to get completely filled with information, with entertainment on this show, especially today's show with this guest list. I am pumped up. Uh, Kurt Schilling joins us in 20 minutes. First, those Scorch Earth headlines, the the top headlines we'll be discussing throughout today. Uh, And the stunning, I mean, you do a double take on headlines like this. Uh, Bronny James, of course, the, the son of LeBron, who is a freshman at USC, was hospitalized after a heart attack, cardiac arrest, during a USC workout yesterday. The, the James family confirmed this through a statement uh, where he was rushed to the hospital. He was unconscious at the time. Those are really the details that we know, other than he is no longer in ICU, which is great news. And this is, at USC, Chad, this is now the second player in the last 13 months that has had a heart issue. Um, but first and foremost, you do a double take and you think, man, what, what just happened? Uh, given the fact that he's done all of the, the, the high school uh, accolades and, and has posted so many different things, and then to have this happen in one of the first workouts, and they're working out early than maybe your favorite basketball team, because they're going to uh, Greece and Croatia for some college hoops tour. So that's why well, they were on the floor early. 
this seems to be happening way too much. And maybe it's because the coverage of it is more and more now. But I remember when Hank Gathers at Loyola Marymount was a huge deal when that happened with someone collapsing on a court. And I feel like we've seen these types of stories more and more lately. I'm no doctor. I'm no scientist. I do hope that in the interest of good science, that we are researching every possible reason yes. for young people collapsing at this rate. And I don't, I'm not here to pronounce the answer to it. I don't know. What I don't want, though, are preconceived notions about anything, vaccination-related, anything else, to play into a scientific experiment to see what is going on. I want to make sure that we're looking at any and all possibilities for why things like this continue to happen. It's tragic news. I mean, I, I, as a parent, I think about LeBron and, and his wife when I see this story and how terrifying that must be to have a child that age go through cardiac arrest. So my prayers are with Bronny James and the entire James family. And I do hope that we are doing everything possible to research all of these things scientifically so we can start to understand a little bit more about why we're seeing more and more seemingly young, healthy athletes that are well, collapsing at this yeah. rate. And, and, and this is and this is another one of those sad stories. And we mentioned uh, the, the the freshman center from last year uh, that collapsed and, and had a similar uh, a cardiac issue at USC. He played in 14 games last season after having this happen. 13 months ago. That's crazy. DeMar Hamlin also comes to mind. Uh, Sharif O'Neal, son of, of Shaq, uh, he had a heart issue in 2018. And Bronny and Sharif hang out. Like, they, they're friends. I think they were recently on TMZ for something else a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Chad. This is, it's just scary. You know, you think about it and, and, and the age and what causes it and uh, where it happens. I always think, like, DeMar Hamlin, where it happened, he was at the perfect place. If you're going, unfortunately, to have that happen to you, you have the best medical care around in an NFL stadium any game day. Uh, Same goes for what has happened at USC, not once but twice now in in just over a year. And I think that those medical professionals, the ones we're talking about, you know, first responders, Mm -hmm. people there on site, uh, people that work in on ambulances, ERs, all that thing. I, I think these are people that are completely above board, that are truly doing their best to save lives and to help people. And I am so thankful that people want to have those jobs and do them and that they're out there saving lives every day. But Connie in our YouTube chat says, what I'm asking for won't happen because the answer is already known. My mom worked for a hospital for the bulk of her career and retired at 68 years old from working at that hospital. And she is one that will always say, doctors don't play this game. You know, doctors, they just don't, they don't get into that. They don't have bias coming in. They are scientists. They want to help people. They want to make sure they're okay. All I'm saying is I hope that is the case because a lot of things have happened in the last three years that have caused me to doubt some of that. And it makes me think that pharmaceutical companies, some doctors, some scientists where I'd always put that field over here Mm -hmm. to be outside of the BS and to put faith in that and to put trust in that and all things. I've removed some of that faith and trust over the last three years. I hutton just hope and pray that we're getting to the bottom of whatever's going on. 
I'm not here to say one way or the other. I don't know. I just hope that whatever's happening is on the up and up and that we've got good people that are researching it that won't hesitate to tell everyone exactly what it is. Not the fake headlines you're talking about on the local news. Right, where it's like, yeah. hey, this thing will kill you. We'll tell you what it is yes. coming up next. I'm talking about real studied data that goes into this that will be reported fairly to everyone because as a parent of a young athlete or anyone that's active, I, I want to know these things. Badly want to know these things. And I just hope that we haven't been shrouded with some layer of whatever preconceived bias is out there mm-hmm. or whatever money is involved from big pharmaceutical companies that we're not well, being then, drugged through the mud. And then the companies that forced employees to do whatever, right? Employees that forced companies that enforced employees to do it, trying to avoid yeah. liability right. for doing such that requirements. That machine and the amount of money that can be paid to silence things is scary to me. And what I want is just for the future for all of us to know. That should be the most important thing right now. But unfortunately, the most important thing for these companies is to save as much money as possible and not be sued. Chad, uh, the NCAA, afraid of being sued in name, image, likeness. But when it comes to recruiting violations, uh, they try to drop the hammer in some cases. And in other cases, they, you know, negotiate. Reports are that the NCAA and the Infractions Committee uh, negotiating a suspension with Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh, uh, a negotiated resolution that would have him sit out the first four games of this upcoming season. That would serve as a penalty. I'm I'm putting that in my own quotes, air quotes here. Penalties uh, for lying and making false statements during an investigation for recruiting violations. Now, uh, Mike McDonald, the former defensive coordinator at Michigan, now at in Baltimore. Not Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers. Right. Mike the, McDonald. The Ravens. Different guy. Raven, yeah, Raven. Not as good of a voice. You don't know me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not the yeah. voice of an angel, Hutton. This is a different Mike that, McDonald. That's right. Uh, he's been hit with a one-year show cause, but, I mean, there's a reason why he's now the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens and playing for John, not Jim Harbaugh. And uh, their OC and their tight ends coach, I believe, also expected to be hit with some penalties from the NCAA. But, Chad, penalty here is light if you look at it from a four-game suspension and what Harbaugh and what Michigan will be missing on the sideline for their first four out of the gate. Bruce Pearl lied about a barbecue that happened that would have been legal two weeks later but happened two weeks earlier. And he bold-faced lied to the NCAA about it. He got a five-year show cause because of that. Jim Harbaugh was asked about taking players out to eat when he shouldn't for a lunch and asked who picked up the bill. And he said, I don't remember. I don't recall. I don't recall. And they're claiming – and he will not sign anything that says that he lied about it, only that he truly did not recall, does not remember who paid for the lunch. And he is going to be suspended for East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. This is a huge win for Jim Harbaugh. Now, I'm not one to stand up here and pound on this desk right now and say the NCAA has all authority (laughs) to lay the hammer on Michigan football for 
COVID access violations and illegally Zooming workouts during COVID-19, whatever. I truly don't care about any of that stuff anymore. But this is also laughable. Now, the, this is just what's proposed from Michigan. The NCAA does not have to accept this, but it does sound like from Ross Dellinger's report, they are inclined to accept it. The max penalty that I'm reading is six games. Six games, yeah. That he could get. For lying. For this level one violation of lying the way he did. So, I guess four games is a decent compromise. But I look at these games, I wouldn't look. The only line available right now, point spread, is the opener against East Carolina. 35 and a half points is what Michigan is favored by. Hutton, I think that you could take the offense and I could take the defense and we could show up in Ann Arbor the week of that game and probably win by a solid 10 points in this game if we were coaching in this one. So I think Michigan will be fine with these penalties. And by the way, the infractions committee can take it up to six. It would be Nebraska and Minnesota that would be games five and six. And only one power five and and same as uh, conference opponent in Rutgers in the first I mean, those four. are tougher. And Minnesota should be yeah. tougher than Nebraska this year. That would be a blow to not have Jim Harbaugh for that game. But also, games that I believe with the staff in place and with an interim coach, they could still start 6-0 and even if he missed all six. Northwestern President Michael Schill says that uh, Derek Gregg, their athletic director, is going to remain as the AD. There have been no discussions about removing him from that post, overseeing the athletic program uh, that they had a six-month investigation on, multiple, uh, not just the football program, but uh, multiple issues and lawsuits and allegations uh, have been thrown Northwestern's way over the last couple of weeks here. And uh, Shill, the president, making his first public statements uh, other than uh, quotes in a press release since July 10th, I believe, uh, was the last time we've heard from. And he told the, the Northwestern student newspaper that he is not going to do anything with Greg and the university and the, the committee, the board is not going to do anything with their AD because most of the allegations, most of the detail from the investigation uh, came prior to his arrival in, in 2021 and that they can't tie any individuals to hazing. Although uh, Matt McPherson is one of the longtime assistants at Northwestern that was named recently in a lawsuit that she'll mention, but that's really the only name we've heard throughout this case. And, and he went on to detail why the, it was over, overwhelming uh, support within the closed doors of letting Fitzgerald go, but that's the only one other than their baseball coach. We'll get more into this a little bit later. My first response to this statement about his AD was, man, it's going to be awkward when he has to fire this guy after these two external investigations. And, yeah. But then I thought, oh, no, it won't, because Derek Schill, Derek Schill. Michael. Michael Schill. Derek Schill sounds better. Yeah. Michael and, Schill. And you had the, Derek Gregg. Yeah. But by the way, Schill is the perfect name for this guy. Last name. Michael, President Michael Schill of the Northwestern University has no problem backtracking because this guy wants to be lauded as some hero because he was a leader that was able to admit fault after two days, after giving a two-week suspension, and he came back and said, you know what good leaders do? They come back and they say where they're wrong, and then three days later I come back and I fire the coach, all because 
I didn't read the full report initially. Just I a just, summary. Just, just a summary. Just read the raw summary. You know, I, I listened to the investigators. What I took from that was I was looking for any reason to not fire the coach because I didn't want to. I heard four paragraphs from the investigator that gave me cause to not fire the coach. So I suspended him for two weeks. Then I came back when I saw this report from your fine publication, the student newspaper, by the way, who's done all the digging on this. Done a great job. I saw that and I thought, you know, maybe I should do a little bit more and do a little bit more digging and find out more. Oh, now the coach is fired. This is a laugh riot throughout. This has been completely botched by the university, and Michael Schill is most to blame. And I expect all of them eventually to lose their job. More coming on this later, but maybe this guy's got photos on people, don't know. Maybe he's great with the English department, don't know. He's terrible at running an athletic department as a president, and so far his AD's been awful as well. I expect all of them to be gone by the end of this. If it's about leadership, if it's about the academic standards and seeing if the athletic program meets that, the man that's overseeing the academic standards is following a protocol that has been laughable. Coming up, Kurt Schilling joins us. We find out his take on Otani and the best trade possible if the Angels are going to. That's next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up later in today's show, Senator Tommy Tuberville will be with us and Clay Travis. Right now, we say hello. Kurt Schilling joins us. Got the sweet beard going and everything. Uh, a lot to talk What's about. Up, guys? Hey. I love having you back on the show, man. Hope things are well. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I'm actually in the mountains of Pennsylvania right now. Can't complain, right? Uh, so... No. Otani, it's a two-part question. I think it, maybe the answer is different. Maybe it's not. Will the Angels trade Otani? And should the Angels trade Otani? Uh, I don't know if they will. They absolutely should. I, I don't think they're a legitimate player in, in his free agency. I think that and because I don't think that they're going to do anything from a ball club perspective that Shohei Otani is going to look at and go, okay, we're going to be way better next year. I don't think they're going to do that because part of the reason probably will be because of the contract that he gets because that will preclude them. And and listen, with the talent that they have, they should already be winning, right? The Rangers are playing the type of season everybody expects the angels to have. And uh, so I don't think they're going to be players. I think they deal him. I think the, the, the deal and, and the, the return on, on that investment is going to be a hundred percent dependent on the team they trade with. And I know that's an obvious thing to say, but if they make a deal with the Yankees, the, the, the prospect package is going to be, I think far more lucrative than they make it. If they make a deal with the diamondbacks, 
because the Diamondbacks know they'll be renting the guy for a couple months, and the Yankees will will believe in their heart of hearts that not only are they renting him, but they're going to sign him long term. I want to ask you about the Yankees piece of that because I look at the two teams in that city, Yankees and Mets, and, and I want to ask you the question, who can turn it around quicker? I know the Yankees' record looks better right now, but all things considered, division they play in, resources, allocation they've already made into their roster, which of the New York teams could turn this thing around quicker and be a team that could win the division next year? I don't know. Yes. Uh, but, uh, both. both. They're both in – here's the thing. If they, if either of those teams went on an 11-game winning streak, in addition to everybody being excited, nobody would be shocked. No one – you know, both of those teams could run off 20 straight and nobody would be going, oh, my God, nobody saw this coming. Everybody would be saying this is who we thought they would be. Both of those teams are that club. Now, injuries have taken a toll and all the things to go with that. I think Scherzer and, and Verlander have underperformed to, to some degree. Obviously, the injuries in the Yankee roster. Um, it, it's tough for me because I'm very uh, close personally with both the managers in those cities. And I know them to be exceptional guys, uh, 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 managers and people. And, you know, as I've transitioned from, uh, uh, you know, from being a player, I've come to, and I always believe this as a player too. You know, I, I remember uh, very vividly in 2000 when I got traded to the Diamondbacks at the deadline. And I was part of the reason we fell out of the race. My I had a bad September and Buck got fired at the end of that season. I was, I felt extremely responsible for part of that happening. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I have a close connection with both those guys. I feel for both of them. I've communicated with both of them. I know that they're, and they're, they're both exactly what you would hope your manager would be. Hey, listen, it is what it is. We got to get out of it tomorrow. We got to get out of it tomorrow. And the problem now is that you're running out of tomorrows and, and both fan bases, as you guys well know, they're incredibly irrational because they win opening day and it's already, you know, we're going to win 145 games this year. You know, they lose two in a row in April and it's, Oh my God, fire the manager. Um, I, I feel like Steve Cohen is kind of, of um, kept himself distant from that. I mean, cause listen, was the Steinbrenner era not run by the media in the sense that every time the media got on some crusade, Mr. Steinbrenner reacted because if that's, you know, he thought that that's what the fans were thinking. And he was a fan. I loved him for it. But, but with Aaron, I think that there's going to be a lot of patience because you just have to know the guy to understand. I, I you know, uh, and I guarantee you, he's sitting there saying, listen, if they fire me tomorrow, I don't want to be fired, obviously. But I, 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 I did it the way I wanted to do it and it didn't work. I don't think it's not working because of him, though. I think both teams are horribly underperforming. Uh, I think they've been hit by injuries like everybody else, but to some degree, I think that they've, they've both had a disproportionately, uh, 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 not disproportionate number, but but the, the the talent level of their injury roster is is probably much higher than other clubs. Kurt Schilling with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. You've always been, uh, you you give praise for the most part for your managers that, that we've heard on this show. Um do you have any stories uh, from from seasons where the 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 clubhouse is like, man, we got to get this. The manager's got to go. We, we, uh, because it, I mean, um, because you know, I, I I guess the the owners in this case is it part partially because they aren't getting that feedback from the clubhouse. Is that well part I, of yeah, it? Yeah. Well, listen. The only thing the owners hate worse than losing money is bad press. And, and, you know, these, they, they abhor negative media for, you know, because again, these guys are, 
These guys are in a group of people of yes, yes, men and women who yeah. their lives, they're never told no, they're never denied. No one ever talks bad about them in their circles. So, you know, they get their publicity from their sports teams and they also get their, their derision and the, and the criticism from, from the, from their fans as well. Um, you know, a couple, I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. One of the things that Terry Francona said to me, I never, ever forgot this was, you know, you're fired the day you're hired. They just don't put that date on your contract. And that's a very unique way of looking at it in my perspective. Cause you got to remember Terry and I, I was very uh, closely tied with him. I was, I was the starting pitcher on the first game he ever managed first postseason game he ever won. All the, we, we, our careers stuck together for a while. So I got to see the evolution of Terry Francona. And even though he is one of the nastiest human beings off the field uh, you could ever imagine um, in every possible fraternity frat guy kind of way, uh, he is a, he, his, his people skills are off the charts. And um, you know, one of the things that all three of those guys bring to the table to Boone and, and, and Buck and, and Tito is, is there's usually there generally isn't a, a, a table flipping incident uh, in the clubhouse. They, they don't allow those things to happen. And, you know, they generally understand for the most part that the club, your team, if your team can't run itself, you're probably not coaching a winning club. If you have to be in the clubhouse and be in the mix, um, then, then that's a problem. And I, you know, I, I, I played on, I was, I was in Villa almost 10 years and, you know, we had the 1993 season and that was it. Um, but I never looked at it as, I mean, Terry came in and he got fired after, you know, a, a couple of years of bad teams, but he never had talent to win. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't his fault, but you know, the one thing that they'll tell you, you know, when, when the team's losing, you can't fire the players. And, you know, if you're going to mess with the coaching staff and all the other stuff, you got to start with it because then you start manipulating chemistry when you start replacing hitting coaches or firing a pitching coach. And you know, just, it, it's much easier to cut the head off. And and have somebody come in and 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 do those kind of things, but you know nowadays it's a different thing too, guys. There's two pitching coaches, there's three hitting coaches, there's an assistant this, an assistant that. I think there's far too many chefs in the in the kitchen. Number one, um, and I know why they you know they want and not everybody hits the same way. And well, the good coaches don't teach the same way anyway. The good coaches understand everybody's an individual, but now it's almost like they're trying to have three or four coaches for all the hitters because everybody's different. And I don't know that that's actually a good thing. I don't. I don't believe it is because I don't believe you. You can get a universal message from four different coaches, and that was always a thing. You know, if you looked back at the '93 Phillies, uh, which, by the way, we're having a 30-year reunion next month in Philadelphia, awesome. which is just terrifying to me. Well, it, it's awesome, but it's terrifying. And uh, by the way, I just happened to be going around the internet, and the George Brett. Remember the pine tar incident, right? Oh yeah, like. That picture is in black and white. We had color photography then. I remember it. But like that picture is in black and white. I feel like I'm looking at pictures of when I was playing in World War II or something. It's like horrifying. <laughs> but um, no, this is this is a very I know you interesting time. Williams also with the Red Sox. What's that? I said I know you played with Ted Williams also with the Red Sox back in the day. That's great. But but it's going to be very interesting because. I, I think if you look at the New Yorks, uh, uh, are they going into the, are the GMs going into the deadline knowing that they have a manager who they're not going to have next year? Do they go into the yeah. deadline thinking, Hey, listen, if I don't, and the managers have to be wondering, listen, if I don't get help with the deadline, are they just saying basically, Hey, listen, you know, you're on your own and, and you're probably not coming back. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from a player's perspective. I was the guy who was, 
who was mentioned and, and involved in a bunch of different discussions and then deadline deals. Um, I never had a problem with, I, I always found it exhilarating in the sense that, that when I got to be established, it was like, wow, you know, somebody really, my 1997 all-star game memory is of the fans in Cleveland basically spending five days pitching me on what the Cleveland school system was like and how awesome it would be. You know, I, all I had to look at was the fact they had Manny and Tommy and, and, and Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton and, but but it's an exciting time, I think. And there's a there's a thing, you know, there's a thing I think to be said for a Max Scherzer or a Justin Verlander. When you go from that disappointing seven games out, then you jump over to a Texas and you're five games up, right? The start, you, there's an emotional piece that I can remember going from uh, going from Philadelphia when I got traded to the Diamondbacks. You know, we're 50 out, and all of a sudden I'm pitching in Florida two days later for the Diamondbacks team that's two games up in first place mm-hmm. on the Giants in the game, you know. My mentality is uh, how I pitched didn't change, but everything about the outcome of the game was a much bigger deal, and I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, we've turned into something good here, so I'm going I'm to lean right into it. You're a hockey guy also, Kurt. I, I know that. Oh. P- Peter Laviolette yes. was a guy who coached here in Nashville. Great coach, really good yep. the first two to three years, everywhere he goes, but has a reputation as someone whose personality can wear on a club. <laughs> Right, and after Where's three years, welcome. it's a law of diminishing Quickly. returns, and then suddenly you got to make a change, and he can go somewhere else and get that organization going, but then he's got to cycle out. Can you recall a manager or a player, even someone that, you know, talking to people around the league that would fit that description, that over the course oh. of the long haul, there is a law of diminishing returns because of that person's Guys, personality? You know this as well as I do. This goes up and down the spectrum. There are players – who have a, a career pattern. They're, they're hot April, May guys, and they never, they always struggle in September. People are creatures of habit. That, 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 uh, those aren't coincidences that this guy goes to a place, builds a club for two or three years. And all of a sudden after year four, people are like, get him the hell out of here. That, that, that's not a one-off that continues to happen. And that generally is people. That's, that's, that's who he is. That's what he's, I mean, you know, you, you, I, I, I have, heard enough people talk about him being a brilliant hockey mind. Right. But those same people talk about the fact that he just doesn't have it in him to endear himself to people for the long term. Um, the mistake for me is if you, you know, it's that, it's that uh, um, in baseball and football too, it's, it's signing that guy who's been suspended four times because he's, he's failed drug tests thinking you're going to be the team to turn him around thinking you're, you know what, we're going to be the club that he, this guy's going to suddenly begin to play for, you know, it's the, it's the Antonio Brown, right? You're getting what you're getting. And and if you, if you bring him in, you, I think you bring him in with that mindset of, listen, you know, for the next two and a half, three years, everything's going to be, you know, simpatico here. Everybody's going to, we're going to be on the same page, but, and I, I guess what I would ask you guys, I'm wondering, is he aware of it? Does he understand it? Because, it's not something you could bring up to him and have him go, really? I never thought about it like that. Uh, I think people who are like, like said, that inherently not, don't, they don't know it. I think that lack of self-awareness right, yeah. is part of the problem. Well, I don't think they'll right? ever the get it. The dumbest person in the room is usually the last person to know. Yeah. Right. Kurt, or a liberal. We, yeah. We've got a minute left here. We know your thoughts on Scott Rowland. Uh, what do you think of when you think of Fred McGriff? Class. That's the first word that comes to mind is class. The guy played the game hard. He played the game right. 
He played the game. He reminded me, if you guys remember Ryan Sandberg talking about the fact that his father taught him, you always respect the uniform. I always felt like Fred McGriff was always that guy. You would never throw at Fred McGriff. Even if you had to hit somebody on Fred McGriff's team, it wouldn't be him. Because, first of all, he's a big dude and beat the hell out of you. But second, <laughs> more importantly, he was a class guy. He was a respect guy. He played the game hard. He played the game right. And he did it in an era of so uh, of of where the media, ESPN, was was a focal point. And he did it in a way that he didn't bring attention to himself, which is why I think it took him so long to get in the Hall of Fame, and he shouldn't have. Kurt Schilling, you can check out the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show with Al Kick. It uh, drops uh, every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, enjoy the uh, the mountains and uh, and the thirty year reunion. The 30 year reunion. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm He's here with my dog. buddy. Nice. Got the pop. <laughs> I, we always appreciate this. Thanks for being flexible in the time I today, and we'll catch that, up soon. I love being on, guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, this Thank is always we, fun. We like Thanks, talking Kurt. ball. Yeah, Kurt Schilling there. Um, and again, check out the podcast uh, at outkick.com. Some serious personalities on that Philly squad oh, from 93. I'd, I'd love Dykstra to be book, a fly on the nails. wall oh my. at yeah. the 30-year anniversary of the 93 Phillies. The 93 uh, Phillies, of course, uh, I didn't want to bring this up with Kurt on, but that was famously the Joe Carter Blue oh. Jays World Series ending. That was the ending of, of their season in the World Series. Chad, I, I, don't, I don't think I would want to be a fly on the wall for the name, image, likeness talks on Capitol Hill. Just, I mean, because it's, it's going to be Seems tough. pretty boring. Yeah, uh, but Tommy Tuberville, a senator, is trying to push through new legislation with Senator Joe Manchin. He's going to join us later in today's show, but we'll dive into maybe the periphery of what can happen and what will or won't work. That's next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming up, John McClain will talk NFL headlines as training camps are underway across the NFL. Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow rolls on. Senator Tommy Tuberville will be with us uh, in about an hour and 15 minutes from right now as the, the bill that he has discussed with us a couple of times here on the show on OutKick uh, will hit the floor. Uh, the bipartisan legislation that they're hoping will set some guidelines. Chad, this isn't the first time that we have seen some sort of bill try to get pushed through. Um, I don't get the sense that there's much optimism that we have a miracle happen and we have legislation moving forward after today. We'll talk with Senator Tupperville about that. But um, I am eager to see the reaction to the proposed legislation from all angles of college athletics, specifically college football, as we go into the season from the administrators to the university to the players, from the collectives. There will be a lot of talking heads in this reacting to whatever is released. Well, and we had Senator Tuberville on before, and he said 
if you're looking to D.C. to solve your problem, that may not be the right place to look. And now he's got a bill that he's proposing with Senator Joe Manchin. And we've looked through the highlights of the bill, so we'll have questions for him with that. And, and I buy what he's saying. I, I think the problem with all this, Hutton, is that with Greg Sankey's address at SEC Media Days last week, there doesn't really seem to be a plan B. It's right. either this thing gets passed through Congress and the federal government can legislate how this is going to run moving forward. The NCAA lost their court case. They lost in the Supreme Court that you know ruled unanimously mm-hmm. that it was unlawful to not allow NIL. And now they've just given up. They said, we're not going to do anything else or we'll continue to get sued and lose. So we're losers at this point. We're not going to be the ones to come up with it. Conferences, you figure it out. Conferences are saying, well, yeah, we got a lot of power, but we don't want that power. We don't want to open that that door. Our presidents don't want us to open that door. We need the government to do it. And the government has kind of said, I don't know that we can make it happen the, the way things are split right now in this country. I don't know if we can get anything passed. But yet here we are talking about another bill. I, I hope there's some resolution. Maybe this is the one that works. But I think everyone's a little bit skeptical. Talked to Shannon Terry and Grant Furking yesterday about yeah. it. And they're very skeptical as and, well. And how much of the bill is is focused on just giving the NCAA the power back through Charlie Baker, who's now the new president, right? Yeah. Who was not there whenever Mark Emmert stepped stepped aside and let this free-for-all happen. But there are also other sides to this, from revenue sharing and so much more, that it's, it's tough to narrow down in a bipartisan bill right now, given the landscape of where we are in college athletics. And again, the free-for-all with the transfer portal and name image likeness. Um, Urban Meyer was on Don't At Me with Dan Dockich earlier this week, uh, yesterday, and said, um, look, in terms of NIL, Tim Tebow. Urban believes Tim Tebow could make as much as $10 million at Florida off of name image likeness. I, I mean, I see that and I initially think, really? And then I think, well... I mean, Florida just offered <laughs> Rashada a boatload of money that they ended up, they couldn't pay. But, I mean, the guy's the Heisman winner. He's got a statue. He's got quotes. Every, yep, yes, absolutely he could have. Given today's landscape, I don't think that's, I don't think that's far-fetched at all, the $10 million number, the double-figure number. Considering where, I mean, the millions that are, being reported, reportedly handed out, Chad, to freshmen that we haven't even seen play yet. In this case, he would have earned it on the field. Yeah, and I think that, um, and I'm looking now at Livy Dunn and how much she's estimated to be worth. I'm looking at a number right now that's at $3.5 million that she's made so far. I think that number's only going to go up. That's just a reference point. I look up Livy Dunn because... Tim Tebow would have been the ideal NIL person in that he would have made so much more based on his celebrity Mm -hmm. in college. And I think even in his era, probably was more valuable than now because there weren't as many options in media. There weren't as many options in everything in the digital space as there are now. He was more of a celebrity in 2007 than he would be in 2023 because the nature of media in the time, and he may have been even worth. I don't buy much of what Urban Meyer says. I buy this, and he yeah. may even be going under what he could be valued at over the course of his four-year career in college. 
I think you can make more than $10 million. And I'm not talking about just collective money. I'm talking about legit sponsorship that he would have made. I mean, uh, Livy Dunn's the example to use, but also consider like Tebow was a silhouette. That's how, like, if you look at brands, you know, he's he's got the, he's taking a knee and he's got the fist on his chin, you know, for the prayer. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a silhouette that people were doing uh, across the, the high, high school stadiums across the country at the time. Uh, that's, that's even more valuable uh, seeing a pose and thinking Tebow, Tebow mania. And, uh, you know, the back and forth with those who like him, those who don't like him, but everyone's paying attention. And he won, he won. massively successful on the field and uh, was someone you would want as a spokesman off the field as well can't be said for everyone that was playing in the swamp and in the locker room with Tim Tebow Uh, swamp Kings uh, is the new Netflix uh, deep dive into uh, the Florida Gators program this this movie goes hard into what was going on there I I don't know that it will I think it will based on what they've done with the other parts of the series it's got to doesn't it yeah it has to Uh, otherwise like what are they doing why choose this if you're not going to go at it from every single angle, including you know everything from Aaron Hernandez to Tebow? I mean, that's the spectrum we're talking about in that locker room from the champs at the time. Uh, Urban Meyer on Don't At Me with Dan Dockage had this to say about the new Netflix series. You know, but you and I both know that, yeah, you know, great teams sometimes don't connect with the fans great teams sometimes just you know they're they're popular but then there had to be something with this particular group I saw the trailer and guys are like man this is incredible this is big you know this is and and the stories that you're telling there had to be some kind of human element that connected these guys to people yeah they were all they were a cast of characters they were they were you know they they celebrated uh and they had fun on campus, off campus, you know, and that's well documented. We had some issues that we all had to deal with. And, uh, but they, and that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to get involved because there was a narrative that these guys were bad people. Certainly there, we had some guys on the team that, you know, went on afterwards and did, you know, one guy in particular did horrific stuff. But during that era, you know, it was a team that, uh, you know, like I said, a cast of characters, but I love those guys. And the, the fact if someone said they're bad people, I'd fight that. Say that's not true. Did we have some issues like a lot of other college teams did? Certainly. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that they, the fans, and that's probably why this show is going to get so much attention. People identified with them. They love these guys, love them as players, and you know, a lot of love them as characters. Urban Meyer there, uh, former head coach of that team he's talking about, which will be uh... – I, we hope is a deep dive into Swamp Kings on the Florida Gators. And uh, they, he's not saying Aaron Hernandez's name there. They they treat it like Michigan won't say Ohio State. Ohio State won't say Michigan. Yeah, you know, the there, team was, up north. there was there was certainly one guy who you know did some pretty horrific yeah. things. Uh, I hear that and I think tomato tomato. You know, bad people, uh, not bad people. Call it call it whatever you want. I I, I hesitate to say there are a bunch of people, the many people out there that are just truly irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Maybe Aaron Hernandez was, was one of those people, but I, I don't buy that with most people. So I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, that, yes, that was a majority of bad people on the Florida team. But what I will say about Urban Meyer is what I've always said about Urban Meyer. There were some bad people on the Florida team. Do I think that was a majority of the team? No. 
Do I think other great college football teams have had off-field issues? Absolutely, we're seeing it right now at Georgia. Do I think that what happened at Florida during this time and the reason that Netflix is approaching them about a documentary about that time was exceptional and not in a good way when it comes to off-field incidents? A thousand percent yes. And he can put his head in the sand and spin it however he wants and come up with this PR twist on what went down. Bottom line was Urban Meyer, hell of a football coach, could get great recruits, could get the best out of his team on the field. Hell of a hypocrite when it comes to talking about off-field issues and team discipline based on his own track record. And I believe Swamp Kings will show us just that. And when I hear that, I think, okay, yeah, they're not all bad people. I'll grant you that. But to act like it was just what we're dealing with a lot of them, you know, the same stuff that everybody else was. No, it went to an extreme at Florida during that time period. And, and, you can go back and read the police blotter to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, not just on the football program. You know, we've, de- we've detailed a lot of everyone stuff on, on campus uh, at that time. And, you know, they're not taking the championships away. They're not taking Heisman's away, right? No. I mean, that, those, those stay and remain. The stories there, uh, in this case, going more public than, you know, what we may have seen from other football teams where, you know, stuff happens, not to the Hernandez level, but stuff happens that, a team that doesn't win at this level. So they're not remembered. You're not doing a documentary or, or, or something like this from Netflix years later, like you do here with all of the names, the recognizable figures, and then the superstardom of Tebow. I, I can't wait for this. And, and again, I mean, no one's going to feel sorry for Urban Meyer. He won no. two national titles there. Right. If you ask Florida fans now, would you take Urban Meyer back? They'd probably say, hell yes. Mm-hmm. The guy's multiple national championship winning head coach. So, he did just fine in the midst of all of this chaos during that time period. Chad, you mentioned uh, you, for the most part, don't believe that everyone or there are people that are irredeemable. There can be some. Maybe Aaron Hernandez was. There are Hernandez some, was. but I don't think there are many. Maybe it's uh, the the family. I mean, I, the, the, have you seen the story with his brother now? Oh man! Uh, so uh, Dennis, he goes by DJ Hernandez, has been arrested. So he skipped out on a court appearance after throwing a brick at ESPN in Bristol. He lives in Bristol. Um, he's been arrested um, for the f- now the fourth time this year. Uh, police concerned that he was going to uh, be involved in a school shooting. He was planning a school shooting. He sent text messages to an ex-girlfriend and I believe another family member about planning shootings at the University of Connecticut and Brown University. And they have the text to show that. And then, of course, the, just the troubled past and the history of just this year alone leading up to all of that. Um, this is crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad they found this out. I'm glad whatever was sent to these family members or the ex-girlfriend was reported based on what is shown in these documents and the arrest warrant. Because this was... I mean, the, so whenever he threw the brick at ESPN or whatever, we were, we were thinking, oh, they must have done something on Aaron Hernandez that he was pissed off about. No, it was something. just something from the past. Yeah. I, I, and this happened the same day he should have been in court, which was whenever he was sending this, this sounds, allegedly. This sounds very Minority Report, the Tom Cruise movie. I mean, that there should be a pre-crime division about these things. But every time we have someone that does something horrendous like shoots up a school, 
we always end up going back and finding out, man, they, they yeah. got they were interviewed by FBI agents before Signs. or they threatened about something or this happened or that happened. And the question we're always left with is why were they not just taken into custody or put into a mental facility or something at that time? How did we let this person slip through the cracks? I hear all of and it's not just one story. I hear all of this and I think to myself, even though he's yet to commit the the brutal act he's talked about, this is someone I do not want to see in society for a long time because the possibility that it might happen. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is to that other than just institutionalizing someone, which is probably what needs to happen here. But we've got all of the signs social media posts of something awful eventually happening that I would love to prevent in any way possible. And Aaron Hernandez's brother needs to go away yeah. for a while and be dealt with mentally and be in a place that is not easy to escape. Charged with threatening is what they were able to charge him with. And there's a person that told police, what, several people apparently came forward warning about this. And one of the things in the police report that someone said was, Dennis is extremely sick. His mental health is continuing to deteriorate. You know, that's not just on a text message to his ex-girlfriend. He's posting on social media uh, things like, will I kill? Absolutely. I've warned my enemies to pay up front. Thank goodness they found this ahead of time. Yep. And we're not talking about what should have happened. Headlines next.